Welcome to Vibrant Potential. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Frickman. Today's guest is Dr. Jeff Sandquist. I like this dude. He's a chiropractor, a nutritional expert, and a self-proclaimed multi-potentialite. This is a killer show for you if you're constantly being drawn in one direction or another. I've listed tons of resources for you on the show notes at www.drchrisfrickman.com slash intentionally wandering. I'm going to bring your attention to the fact that it is not intentional wandering, it's intentionally wandering. Intentionally wandering is the name of Jeff's show. I love intentionally wandering because Jeff gives us permission to not know. Now, I don't know if that's how Jeff would put it, but for me, that's a significant concept. Jeff encourages us to be flexibly focused on life's journey, not the destination. He just released an episode on his show in which he interviews me, in fact. So if you'd like to hear that, you can find it at intentionallywandering.com slash 32. My intention with this podcast is to help you achieve your vibrant potential. Around minute 45 of this podcast, Jeff says that he's said no to more things than he's said yes to in the past year. It's in the context of simple living. I really want to draw your attention to this concept because the more clear I get about what I'm choosing to be up to in this life, the more I can say no to invites, even if they're amazing invites. But if they aren't congruent with what I'm up to, then it's a no for right now. Somewhere along the way, I had decided it was important to be open-minded. Now, I still believe that, but more and more I find it important to temper that open-mindedness with a construct from which to work for my life from. If you want to create your life, you have to behave in a way that promotes that vision. In last week's episode, James Butler says we are the sum of all our choices. So true. Do you know what you're up to? If you have an inkling that you have something great to give, but you're not quite sure what it is, I highly recommend having a conversation with James. He graciously opened up three premium coaching sessions to the Vibrant Potential Tribe, and I genuinely hope you are one of the lucky three people that will take him up on that. I recently did a session with him myself, and I am on fire now. I am constantly redefining who I am, and in my session with James, I had a huge breakthrough, and I'm excited to share that with you soon. For now, if you want to experience that for yourself, check out last week's show notes at drchrisfrickman.com slash peakobjectives. You can find James's email there. Honestly, I think it's something like james at peakobjectives.com, but it's on the show notes. Just shoot him an email with the subject line of vibrant potential and let him know you'd like to take him up on a free coaching session if he still has one open. This episode is a great complement to last week's as there are a lot of concepts that overlap. Today, Jeff and I talk about creating yourself too. So let's just get right into it. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques, so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Jeff, we're going to talk about being a multi-potentialite. First, can you talk a little bit about the fact that you're a chiropractor? I always forget that you're a chiropractor, to be honest, because we never talk about that. Can you talk about kind of your story of, of you know, chiropractic and, and nutrition and multi-potentialite and, and so on and so forth? To start from the beginning, and I'll make it as quick as I can, uh, I grew up in the Twin Cities in the suburbs, pretty typical suburban upbringing. And I would say uh, really the, the biggest thing 
that was different, I would say, than uh, some other people's upbringing was that my my dad passed away from cancer when I was about four and a half. And so that is one of those uh, obviously life-changing moments. And it's something that I can I can look back on and see how at a very early age um, that event really shaped how I viewed the world and really shaped how I how I led my life for a really long time, kind of combined with my with my own internal wiring. So I I've always had these I felt like these these two sides to me. I had the the side that was very scared, very fearful, especially of of death or of losing something or someone. And so for much of my life, I played things very very safe. I was the perfectionist, type A, straight A student, followed the rules, never got in trouble. Uh, sort of kid. And then on the other side, I had this other piece of me that was very artistic and very creative and uh, very just curious about the world. But I think Were you that going... only child, firstborn? Uh, firstborn, and I have, uh, I have three siblings. Oh, so, okay. so going through, through especially middle school and, and definitely high school, uh, I feel like I kind of got and also beat the creativity and that kind of uh, wandering spirit out of myself to some extent, and especially in in college. So, to jump ahead a bit, I I ended up going to undergrad for athletic training, so sports medicine, and I got about three quarters of the way through the program, and I was like, oh, I I, I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. But oh, shoot. I got this, <laughs> <laughs> but I got this far, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it. And like you, I was very interested. The thing that that I was that got me into it in the first place was I took an anatomy course in high school that I absolutely loved, and just got super fascinated with the human body. And and you could just you can never learn all that there is to know about it. And that was one of the things that I that I just loved. And so as I was finishing undergrad, uh, my wife was uh, a nursing major. We, we met in college. And so we, I, I got introduced to chiropractic through my, my grandma. And my grandma said, you know, I don't know. I know you want to go on and do something else after undergrad. Uh, you should come home over Christmas break and you should see my chiropractor. And I think you'd like chiropractic. So I shadowed this this stock and uh, got my first adjustment and I was kind of like yeah this seems cool and that's uh, <laughs> to be honest with you that's about as as far as I thought about it I was like cool I get to be a doctor I'm gonna learn a lot about a uh, lot more about the body than I already know I get to work with my hands I get to work with people I'm gonna help people this is awesome totally totally digging it so I got into chiropractic school in the Twin Cities. Uh, you and I went to the same uh, same chiropractic school, though you you graduated ahead of me. And uh, I was good again. Was that it was kinda... because I was smarter? No, I was just older. <laughs> I was, I was older. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so uh, it, kind of the same story. I got about three quarters of the way through and I was like, oh, man, I really love so much about this. But while everyone was planning their practice and and really excited to get out and and do that, I was like, I just want to stay in school forever. I want to teach. I want to just continue to learn. I wasn't super interested in the practice side of it, but that's just what you do. You know, like you're a chiropractor, so you go be a chiropractor. And so I graduated and I ended up practicing with the the doctor who who adjusted me first, who introduced me to chiropractic. And Six months into practice, I had what I like to call my uh, my quarter life crisis, and so <laughs> I like to have a crisis every five years or so. For yeah, sure. yeah. And so I was uh, 26 at the time, I think it was, and I was six months into practice, and I was absolutely freaking miserable, and I was miserable to be around. And looking back, my wife is like, yeah, that's like the one time in our life that I was I was kind of questioning our relationship. I wasn't sure I wasn't sure what was going to happen. And I got to this point. And when I say miserable, I think that people people misunderstand that a lot of times. And I, I think a lot of people can probably identify with this is misery to me because I've had so many blessings in my life and I, I've, I've lived a very uh, good life on on so many respects, um, but misery to me is is something that is is good and looks perfect on paper and would be a great life for someone, just not you. And that's how I hmm. felt. I felt like I was, I felt like I was trying to 
to live somebody else's life. And I was trying so hard to make it work and it just wasn't working. Uh, So that's interesting. I got to ask a question about that, though. That's not really a feeling. So what's the feeling that you have? Uh, Is it sadness? Is it is it anger? Is it apathy? Like, what's the feeling that's going on when you're living what could be a great life for someone? It's just not the one that you want to be living. I would say for me, a a lot of those things, all those emotions at different time at different times. But I think for me, it was a lot of, I just felt drained all the time. Mm. Okay. So you're fatigued. Was it harder to connect with people too? Um, you know, I think, uh, I'm the type of person that like, like you, I'm very introspective and I also wear my heart on my sleeve. So it's really hard for me to, uh, to pretend when something's not going well. So it did get to the point very quickly that, you know, people could tell that I I wasn't happy, uh, whether it be just by my mood or it it just, I wasn't really being my authentic self, especially to those that had known me for a while or or knew me really, really well. Um, But what I would say, especially being in the the, the healthcare field is that I am definitely an introvert at heart and I love my alone time. And when I say introvert, it's not because I'm shy. I wouldn't be doing a podcast every week or uh, teaching or speaking in front of audiences if I was shy. It's because, uh, and this sounds really bad, but people drain me and I need my alone time. I need my time to myself uh, to to get built back up. And so really uh, being around and working with people on a daily basis in the, in the healthcare field was just not something that I loved being a doctor and I loved helping people. And that was a really uh, great thing at the end of the day, because of all the energy that I lost doing that, I couldn't live my life. Gotcha. What do you mean live your life? I had nothing left when I came home. Hmm. How many hours a week were you working just by, just out of curiosity? Well, you know, you know, when you start into practice, you work all the hours, you're, you're never off. And then that's another thing is I, I have trouble shutting my brain off for whatever I'm I'm doing. And so obviously there's some boundary issues there and there's some there's some work that I've done on myself personally throughout the years but um it it really I I have not looked back to it. I haven't missed it. Um and I did end up practicing for a few years after but what what had happened is at that time I ended up uh, leaving for a couple of weeks and taking a, a solo two week road trip uh, by myself. And obviously cause it's solo and uh, drove, <laughs> drove, I, I brought uh, all my friends with me on my solo. My <laughs> uh, and it was, uh, I drove 5,000 miles over, I think 16 days. And really, I think that was the first time that I had really uh, found myself in so many ways and focused on the journey as opposed to the destination. I, I had, focus so much of my my earlier years on checking the boxes and and being like when I get here I will be happy and it was always about the destination and that was one of the very first times that I can vividly remember being very focused on the journey that I was taking and and really living uh living in the moment as opposed to looking forward to this thing that was supposed to make me happy um, so I did come back from that with kind of a, a renewed outlook on life. And, and I did continue on in, in chiropractic for a couple more years. And there were definitely parts of it that I loved. And there were definitely uh, really good, happy times. But, but ultimately, after those, those few years, um, I had made some different changes in my life. And I was just seeing that if I continued down this road, I, I could not see myself going into an office 40 hours a week for the rest of my life and it being a fulfilling life to me, you know, for me uh, at the end of my life. And so I ended up leaving, leaving practice, uh, never really looking back. Uh, And since then, I've uh, done consulting, I've done teaching, I've done podcasting, blogging, uh, I've gone back to school and got my master's in nutrition and functional medicine because I love learning. Uh, Really, that's, that's the only reason I did it. And, uh, and that's really just led me to where I am today. And this thing that I've, I've coined, like you have vibrant potential, what I've called intentionally wandering, uh, which is really having a a flexible focus on life. It's, it's leading the life that you feel, uh, you're wired to lead. It's the life that, that resonates with you as opposed to the one that you are, uh, told or, uh, or said you should lead. And one of the things that I've, I've said many times, uh, especially for myself, is that uh, your degree does not equal your destiny. And I think that that, mm. 
that type of thinking is still out there way, way too much. And I've, I've met, I actually just this last week had coffee with a, a classmate of mine uh, from chiropractic school who also recently left and had many of the same feelings uh, that I did. And I think that, that that's the thing is that if, if people are loving what they're doing, keep doing it. But if, if you're not and you're just doing it because, well, I put all this time and this effort and this money or what are my parents going to think or whatever it is, and you're not happy, you're, you're not enjoying life, uh, I think personally that that should be, that should be questioned. Um, and so I think that the, the, the degree as destiny, and the more that I've talked about this with people, the more I've, I've found people who've kind of come out of the woodwork and said, yeah, I, I, I did the same thing or, oh, you can do that. And I think that's a big part of just what I want to do with my, with my podcast. And I think with, with probably what you want to do with yours is giving people or helping people give themselves, because you really can't do it for them, um, permission to do whatever it is that they feel that they, that they need to do. You just used a phrase that I, I really liked. Uh, see if I can remember it. Uh, focused flexibility. Flexible focus. Okay. Flexible focus. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think that's great. Don't just sit there. Don't do nothing. Like continue to move forward, but be okay with course corrections. That's great. So how did you be, you know, become okay with being a multi-potentialite? Did, where did you find that, that word, by the way? Uh, so first, where did I find it? So the the person that really coined this word, her name is Emily Wapnick, who has uh, been on my podcast and is uh, also someone I, I can call a friend now, which is is just awesome. Um, she actually did a TED Talk this past year uh, that I think has got almost up to 2 million views uh, about being a multi-potentialite and multi-potentiality. And so it's, it's, it's starting to gain some momentum, which is really cool. And she's, uh, she's doing a lot of things to help spread, spread that word, which is, which is just awesome. You know, some, some other terms that have been used in the past are things like a Renaissance person or a scanner or generalist, or, um, there's just a, a number of different ones, but they're all kind of a portfolio life is also one I've heard. Um, but it, it's essentially saying that you're not just one thing and none of us are just one thing. However, um, the thing that one of the things I've learned throughout life is that most things in life are, are on a spectrum. And so you have the, you have the, 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 the black and the white on one side, and then you have all the variations of gray in the middle. And I think that those who are more of the multi-potentialite type, uh, we, we tend to, you know, stray more towards the general versus you have other people that are very much a, a specialist and we need both. I think that's, one of the biggest things that needs to be, you know, said about this is that we need both. If I'm going to a, a surgeon, right, um, and they're going to do this one particular surgery that they do every single day, I want like the greatest specialist on the planet to be doing that. I want that person that is obsessed with that one thing. I don't want the guy that's like, yeah, I'm all, I do this and I do that and I do this or the gal or whoever it is. Um, so I think that that's the, the, the piece that we need to start talking about and start integrating is understanding how each of us are wired and then figuring out how do we work together, um, how do we work together best. And that's when you say, how did I do this? Honestly, a lot of time and work, a lot of, a lot of introspection. And that's part of what I'm, I'm hoping to help other people with is to give them some of the tools that I've used to you know, maybe fast track them uh, and not make it take as long as it took me. But uh, the biggest piece I can say is going back to one of my favorite quotes uh, is know thyself, which I believe is, is, is Socrates. And for me, I have used a, a variety of different, uh, you could call them personality assessments or whatever, to really get to understand not just what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my temperaments? But also, what is uh, what is my motivation for doing what I what I do? So, my favorite ones that I I've talked about um, with <laughs> with a lot of people, and and I've heard a lot of really great results from people is uh, Strength Finders 2.0, which is a, a book by Tom Rath that you you take an assessment at the uh, there's a code in the back of the book, so so don't buy it used. 
And essentially what it is is that they they did a bunch of research and they came up with 34 different strengths that people can potentially have. And this assessment gives you your top five ones or your top five strengths. And so... And you had like an 18-way tie. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my strengths are all around uh, learning and information and connecting the dots. And I, I knew that, but it just really hit home for me. And one of the, the things that they talk about in the book that really changed my perspective and my paradigm on, on how I look at the world is, is that in our society, we want people to be while we want specialists, we also want people to be good at everything. We want, right? The, I mean, how many times did we hear growing up, you need to be a well-rounded person. Instead of that, maybe we should be focusing on what people are, are, are naturally gifted at, what are their talents, what are their strengths, and really focusing on and enhancing those. And I'm not saying you ignore the weaknesses, but what I'm saying is that, that those weaknesses, you work on them, but they shouldn't be the primary focus. And I think that too many people, including myself in the past, I focus so much time and energy trying to get better at a whole bunch of things that I was really not going to gain that much on when I could have been focusing on other things that, that the, the return for my investment would have been much, much greater. It reminds me of the way that I approach triathlon coaching, actually. Just to put it really simply, there's swimming, biking, and running. There are, there's a bunch of things within each one of those, but let's just, you know, if we, if we just look at swimming, biking, and running, let's say, let's say you're, you want to do your best triathlon and you're a really good cyclist, but your swimming is horrible. There's a lot of people uh, that would say, okay, well, obviously just focus on your swimming then and try to get your swimming really, you know, up to par. But I take kind of a different approach. And certainly if you're going to be a triathlete, you have to practice all three sports to some degree. But if you're a natural cyclist and you want to be a triathlete, I'm going to have you just become like the best cyclist in the field. Because like you're first of all, you're you're probably good at that either because you you really love that or or because you just have like certain strengths, your body type, whatever. So if you try to just like fight against that and just pump up your weaknesses, your strengths are ne you're never going to achieve your full potential and your strengths and your weaknesses, they're going to be stronger, but it's it, it's still going to be such so lackluster that and you're not going to be. Uh, you're not going to have as much fun doing it. So I've found that people are more successful if we if we kind of brush up on the weaknesses, but really focus on the strengths and just max those those puppies out. Yeah, that is a beautiful example. That's perfect, and I think that's a really good uh, practical way to to explain what I was what I was trying to say, what I was rambling on about. And the second one, or this the second one, and there's been others, but these are these are my my favorite, the ones I found to be more, most powerful. Uh, is called um, your motivational DNA. And uh, that is actually a, a friend of mine developed this assessment and it's free. So people can go take it for free, which is, is pretty awesome. Uh, what this looks at is different. So where you, you may have like things like Myers-Briggs, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that really look at kind of like, what's your temperament? What's, what's your personality style? Yeah, like you, and you said have, you're, you're an introvert. Right, exactly. Which I think is is great information, uh, great information to know. Um, and then you have things like strength finders, where you're looking at what are you good at and what are you what are you talented and gifted at. Uh, where is your time best served? What motivational DNA looks at is is really what's called your intrinsic motivation. And this is an idea that came from a really great book uh, called Drive by by Daniel Pink. And this assessment really shows you or gives you the the idea of what is driving you to use those strengths? What is driving your personality the way it is? Um, why do you do what you do? Which is one of my favorite things is to get into uh, the why behind the what. And so like for me, uh, and these are these these motivations are broken down into a uh, little uh, three uh, three letter abbreviation. So mine is UCD KWR, which is unyielding conviction and design. And then secondary is uh, knowledge, wisdom, and I think it's responsibility. But really what, what that says is that un, uh, unyielding conviction and design, um, I would be curious for you to take this, Chris, because I think you probably are a UCD as well, which is probably why we identify so much with each other. 
Um, we actually might be the same in a lot of respects. Yeah, uh, I, I I love those kinds of things. So I I actually haven't done either of those. So I will I will take both of those. So this unyielding conviction in design is very much the kind of uh, black or white type person. It's the person that's very very convicted in what they're doing and what they're saying, um, which you may be able to to hear from my my voice throughout this whole this whole chat. Uh, but also that flexibility to understand that, like you said things can change and and that with you have new information um, that changes things go with that and then the the knowledge wisdom and responsibility is is really that back to that strength of I love to learn I am motivated based on things that I am passionate about based on things that I am convicted are are truth to me and I'm also motivated I'm motivated to learn just to learn like I said in the beginning I went and got my master's in nutrition and functional medicine after I quit chiropractic with really no intentions of practicing actively, but I knew that that information could come in handy and would, would be a, a thing that I could use to uh, teach, to speak, to write books, to, to do whatever it is that I may want to do in the future. And so I don't see that, I don't see that as, a, as a waste. I look at, I look at all these, these tools that I've collected throughout, throughout the years as I may not be using them right now in the specific way that everyone else is doing, but I do use them somehow on a daily basis. And just because I'm saying no to something right now doesn't mean that I'm not going to say yes to it down the road. Awesome. I'm just going to go on a completely different question here. Take us. Intentionally wander, Chris. Yes. So I'm going to ask you about finances. And what I mean by that is a lot of people might hear a story about like, oh, cool, like this guy was a chiropractor and then he decided to go do this other thing and then he's doing this other thing and it's like, what? He just like took off to Iceland for a month or whatever, like, uh, or not Iceland. Weren't you, weren't you in Iceland uh, or something or Greenland yeah, we, or something? Yeah, well, we went to Iceland and Norway, but that was because Laura was speaking at a conference in Iceland and then I did take a month off this past summer and uh, did another I, I call it my my second quarter life crisis. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Basically, I capped off that first trip um, it, it, with another uh, six thousand mile road trip with uh, meeting a bunch of different people, and you know, I tried different things like couch surfing and camping by myself, and um, you know, stay with a bunch of friends and family along the way, which which obviously reduced the cost quite a bit, um, and and that was a, also a big piece because I'm coming up on this next, my next birthday in March is the the same age that my dad was when he died. And, and that mm. was really a, a big, uh, kind of another soul searching experience for me of saying, I, I, there were parts of my life where I was, I was so scared that I would never make it to that point that my mm. dad was. Mm. And I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to make it. Maybe I'll get hit by a bus tomorrow, but, uh, right now I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it. And so just asking myself, am I living the life that I truly want to live? And am I doing what I'm doing every single day because uh, I'm told I should do it or because I actually want to do it? Because if, if this is all that I that I got, just like that's all my dad got, um, I want to make sure that that I got what I wanted. Yeah, like, man. I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, none of us know how long we're going to be here. And, and even if you make it to 100, I mean, at the end of the day... <laughs> That's kind of not that much time. I mean, it sounds like so much when you're 15 or something, but it's like, you know, I'm I'm coming up on 40 here. Uh, actually, this month I'm turning 39. And I don't know. I mean, I'm like looking at it like, geez, like even if you make it to a hundo, that's like I've lived a good chunk of my life already. Like, holy cow, you know? So it's you talking about... Um, your dad and stuff. I appreciate you, you know, sharing that with us. Yeah. And it's been cool as I've, as I've shared that I've had other people reach out to me to say, I lost my mom. I lost my dad. I lost a friend, a, a family member at a certain age. And it's been a, a similar thing that I've had to wrestle with. And when I got to that age, I, I did a little celebration. It was like this weight lifted off my shoulders to some extent that, that I made it and, and that I could identify with them on a much deeper level than I ever had before. And so, you know, I think that this is potentially a, a story and an experience that more people than we realize have had. But I don't necessarily know that a lot of people are talking about it because uh, death is is honestly not 
the most comfortable or fun thing to talk about, but it, it's the sort of thing that I think in our society, especially, um, we, we don't like to talk about the ugly parts of it. We don't like, we, we, we don't like to expose, uh, you know, the, the underside of it as much as, as I think needs, needs to be done. Mm, interesting. My girlfriend, anybody that's a normal listener to this podcast knows my girlfriend, Shamini, had breast cancer. She wants to host something called Death Over Dinner. Uh, have you ever heard of this? No, but I would, I would love to be there for that. Okay, well, you, you and Laura will be on the list then. Um, but we're going to just essentially put on, uh, you know, a dinner. We're going to have like a dinner party sort of, and, um, it sounds so yuppie, but, uh, but we're, you know, have some people over and we're going to just, we're going to have a discussion about death and, uh, mine, this is Shamini's, uh, uh, it's her idea. Um, I, I think it's a great idea, but she knows more of the details, but I believe there's a, an actual organization, like you can Google death over dinner and they, they have, I mean, obviously you can do whatever you want in your home, but they have like some kind of agenda that you can like just go by to, to talk, you know, stimulate discussions about death and, um, just kind of like stop, um, just, just start paying attention to it. It's like, Hey, we are going to die. Can we, can we talk about this? Does anyone want to talk about this? You know? (laughs) So that's, uh, that's interesting that, that you have that, uh, you know, your experience, I guess with that. Um, right. Right. Well, let me get back to your, I don't want to I don't want you to think that I'm I'm sidestepping your your financial question. No, no, I think not it's at all. Really, I mean, so I mean, did I it think make... it's a really it's a really good question. Yeah, it does. Um, and actually, it's something that I I haven't talked a ton about uh, publicly, and it's something that I I I want to address more and more. Um, and I think you know. So here's a couple of things. Like I said, I I've, I grew up with a like I said, middle upper middle class suburbia. So, you know, I really didn't ever want for anything. I mean, I, I had a, I had a pretty comfortable upbringing. Um, I can't say that I've ever been a, a really good saver, but one of the, uh, one of the saving graces, I guess you would say is that while I definitely spent, uh, money, I never spent more money than I, than I had. So I, I really have never had, the consumer credit card debt, which I know a lot of people struggle with. I mean, I've seen statistics more recently that the average American has somewhere between like six and eight thousand dollars spread over a couple of credit cards in in just credit card consumer debt. Um, and then add to that, you know, mortgages and add to that, you know, uh, school loans, which I have I have plenty of those. I, I do have those. Um, you know, for us, we have we have been very smart with our money, I would say. Uh, in the past uh, year and a half, uh, I made another significant life change where I, I became a minimalist. Uh, so, And I would say before then, I was kind of a, a maximalist. I, I, I liked stuff. I had lots of collections, especially like DVDs and comic books and books and CDs and just collectible type stuff. And I had this, uh, I had this again, another one of these life-changing moments. I was reading this book uh, called Everything That Remains by the Minimalists, uh, a, couple of, a couple of guys who talk a lot about this. And it got to a point where he had a couple of quotes right in a row that, it, that just hit, hit home for where I was at at that point in my life. And it was, uh, ultimately, I just want to create more than I consume. And he said that the, the, his formula for success was happiness plus personal growth plus contribution to others. And that was really the first, that was really the first, uh, definition of success that, that really I, I identified with. Cause before that it was all about the, the shiny things and the money and the houses and the cars and the, you know, the, the trappings I would say of the, the, the stereotypical American life. And, I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with that, but if it's done mindlessly, I, I definitely do. And so uh, we were moving uh, right around the time that I, I read that book, and I'm an all-or-nothing person, uh, Chris. And so we gutted about 50% of our possessions within two weeks, and then probably another 
20 to 30% of them uh, over the next over the next year. So we Man, have who is your wife that she just went along with whatever idea okay. you had? <laughs> so this is this again, like this is where the vibrant potential that you've talked about and the intentionally wanting that I've talked about, about this being an individual journey um, and that not everything's going to work for every person. Again, I'm super blessed to have my wife is the most understanding and she is she's the she's the go with the flow kind of uh, one of us, even though I'm talking about intentionally wandering and flexible focus and all this. um, She is willing to learn and willing to grow and we are both willing to do it together. And there are definitely times, uh, please do not get the impression that I'm like, we're doing this. And she's like, yes. Uh, There are times where she's like, no, we're, we're not doing that. No, this is a bad idea. No, this is why we should not do that. And so, um, Jeff, but come the, back to reality. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I think that that she knows me well enough and that we know each other well enough that that most of the time, if I if I bring something like this to her, that I've thought about it a ton. I've researched it. I have a I have a good why behind the what. Um, and so she's so she was she was pretty good. And I would also say that Laura is naturally a minimalist. She never really collected a lot of stuff. So the majority of things we got rid of were mine. And then the rest of it were, you know, just the things that you accumulate because you're married, right? Going back to this idea of just because you're married, you should have 42 place settings and you should have, you know, 14 pots and pans and you should have 17 strainers and whatever it is. And it's like we use a fraction of that. And so it's even just starting with the the very, very simple things uh, to to say, how many of these do I really need? When was the last time that I actually used this thing? Do I even like this? Do I even want this? Um, and there's, there's plenty of resources out there. Uh, like I said, the minimalists are a great one. Joshua Becker at Becoming Minimalist. Um, there's, there's tons of them out there uh, to help people with all these steps. But... I would say that's another aspect of, of the financial question is that when you, when you simplify your life, when you focus on what is really, really important and you know where your money is going, you don't have to make as much money. It's funny that you say simplify your life uh, when you're talking about that. I, I cannot remember her name. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but I have a book called Simplify Your Life. And, uh, I actually met this woman, she's a nun and I believe, man, I, I listened to her talk so long ago and I, I've, ironically, I've kept her book because, and I say ironically, because one of the things I remember about her talk was that she only allows herself to have six books at a time and she loves learning. She loves reading and uh, but she has also taken a vow of poverty, which is, you know, it's like this super old school way of saying like, I'm not going to be a material, materialism is not going to run my life. I'm, I'm not going to be of this world, quote unquote, you know, I'm going to be uh, focused on the spiritual and, and so on and so forth. But one of her practices was she only allowed herself six books and three of them were always the same. Like she always had a, uh, she always had her Bible and she had two other books. I don't remember what they are now that she always had. And then her other three would, would rotate. So if she wanted another book, she would have to like gift one of her other books to someone else. And then she'd get this another book because she could only have six books at a time. And that might have been one of my first introductions to like, the idea of just not having like a a huge amount of stuff. And I think that's a, that's a good example. But I also think that something like that gives people sometimes the wrong impression because, you know, I I can respect the the vow of poverty, but I don't think that poverty necessarily helps anybody. Uh, If you're not getting your basic needs met, you can't, you can't possibly focus on the greater needs. You can't possibly focus on higher level functioning. So while I, I understand and I respect it from, from say that that sort of belief or uh, belief system, I I don't necessarily know that that is as uh, helpful or even I would say realistic for for most people. And I also think that the the idea of having a certain number of things 
is something that people that can trip people up as well as they're simplifying their life in that it's not about having a particular number of things like minimalism or simple living or whatever is really just about intentionally living it's about having uh it's it's about wanting what you have instead of having what you want it's about removing the excess to focus on what you feel is essential and so i think kind of going back to the the financial thing again is that you know we have We've just made certain decisions uh, to cut out things in our life that uh, cost money that really weren't adding a ton of value to us. Like we don't have Netflix. We don't have cable. Uh, we do have internet service. I drive a 1996 really super duper crappy Jetta uh, that I will drive into into the ground. Um, we don't typically buy a whole lot of new things. Like there's all these there's all these other pieces that again, if people can kind of just take a step back, and I think this is what you're communicating with Vibrant Potential as well, is take the time to take a step back and say, what is essential to my life? What is important in my life? And then remove the rest. Interesting. I feel like that's a decent segue for a question that I wanted to ask you. And I've... I feel like you've half answered it, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I want to see what comes up. Are you a proponent of creating your life? Say more about that. Yeah. So just meaning like, I mean, to put it personally, I have been thinking about it myself lately. I don't know. like, What do I want my life to be about? You know, I'm continually, I mean, we've been, we've been talking about it for, for a while now, you and I. I, I'm continually sort of reinventing myself, like trying to decide what's important to myself, you know, to me and what I want to contribute and, and what kind of things I want to bring for other people and how I want to show up. I, I'm, I'm on the edge of talking about stuff that's like super personal. I don't want to be at the end of my life and have people look at me like I ended up looking at my, at my grandfather. And uh, that doesn't, I know that sounds horrible, my grandfather, I think he was a good man. I loved him. Um, he was my family. And and uh, there's a lot of times that he was a jerk. And you'll be shocked to know this, Jeff, but I, sometimes I'm a jerk. <laughs> so am I. You ask, know what I mean? Laura. And I mean, I, it's, this is, uh, I, I I didn't really intend to talk about this, as you can probably hear, as I'm like stuttering over my words here. But I'm, I'm. This is uh, good. This is what people need to hear. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to be real, so I hope it comes off as authentic and and helpful for people. But I'm, it's like, I I don't want what what do I want to create like energetically that people that people can be around partly there's this thought like okay i don't want to go to the grave having people thinking i'm a jerk i mean that'd be like one level of it but but another level that might be more helpful is what is it that i want what is this energy that i want to create that i want to like bring into this world that people can be around. So I'm, if I'm saying that I'm all about vibrant potential, do I want to be someone that's like a jerk and squelching people's, you know, energy or creativity or so on and so forth? I mean, obviously the answer would be no, but the, the answer is no, but then sometimes I am a jerk. So wait a second, how does that fit in? So, so, um, you know, I think everybody has these moments where they're they're reacting um unless you're you're really really enlightened and and you've gotten rid of all those reactions and and your ego and stuff. Right now I'm into this idea of creating who I am. And not that I haven't mastered or anything, but um I I kind of I'm trying to continually look at at my actions and and what I'm doing and and is this is this uh, behavior congruent with what I'm saying that I want to bring? And if it's not, do I need to change the behavior or do I need to change what I'm saying that I want to bring? So thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I agree with I agree with all that. And I would say that, you know, part of part of my drive to change years ago was the fact that I realized I had this I had this really 
very honest, real, um, I guess got in touch with myself even more so of like, dude, you are, you're kind of a jerk a lot. You're, you're not as nice as you think you are. And I think that as far as creating who you want to be, I think that absolutely I I'm trying to create my life, but I think the, the, the biggest challenge is to not, to not fall into the trap of seeing another person and saying, yes, that like, I want to be that person because we don't see every aspect, every minute, every part of that person's life. We only see what we're exposed to or what they allow us to be exposed to. I mean, especially when we talk about social media. I was just thinking Facebook, Facebook. (laughs) Right, 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 right. You know, it's like, you know, even back to like the financial thing, it's like we lived in my grandparents' basement for a year because we couldn't afford not to. And we both had our doctorates. Okay, and the number of people that I know that are highly educated, uh, very, uh, you know, well to do people like trying to do something good in in the world that have had to move back home with their parents or, you know, move in with a relative or are living in some dump uh, apartment or driving some crappy car or whatever it is. It's it's a lot. It, it is a lot. And again, it's another one of those things that we don't talk about. It's we we put up we put up all the super success stories. We put up the shiny stuff, but that is not, that's not the average person's experience. And so, you know, this idea of it's like, yeah, did we travel? Absolutely. Uh, do we have a ton of student debt still? Yes, absolutely. Um, but we figured out how to budget and make things work and not have consumer debt and to live the life that that's, that's pretty good right now. And, and piece together multiple jobs, multiple careers, uh, all, all sorts of different pieces. And so I think that that's just a, that's a piece that, that people, and I do it, we all do it. It's so easy to look from the outside looking in and be like, oh, it must be nice. You know, it must be nice. I got that a lot when I went on, when I took the month and did the road trip. Oh, it must be nice to leave for a month and, and go travel. But the thing is, is that they don't know about all the sacrifices that it took for me to be able to do that. Just like I don't know all the sacrifices other people had to make to do what they truly wanted to do. Um, and so to, to or really... Or are doing by default. Or are doing by default, exactly. So I think that one of the things that all of this creating my life has has brought to the, the forefront for me is is really realizing how how uh, difficult the whole comparison trap can be, uh, comparing yourself to other people where you think you want to be, and the number of times of where I thought I wanted to be, and then actually where I ended up or where I actually wanted to be, uh, were different is is becoming ridiculous, and so that's that's where I I'm I'm sticking to at least for now. It could change. I'm sticking to this idea of intentionally wandering and flexible focus. I don't know what it looks like every single piece uh, for me to be the person I want to be or to live the life that I want to live. But I have an idea and I have a vision, but I'm also willing to change as I as I get new information. And I think that's the biggest piece that that uh, the people trip up on. And I definitely did in the past and still do from time to time is getting so focused or obsessed on what we think success is going to be or what we think success is or the life we want or whatever it is and something else better more appropriate more you comes along and you ignore it because you're so focused on that other thing that you think it should be hmm. yeah Does that or, answer you, or your question? you don't have or you don't have the room in your life like with all the trappings sort of that you've yeah, yeah, and I don't blame people because uh, so many people, unfortunately, that I've met have uh, it's it's harder for them to get out of where they're at. They've kind of painted themselves into a corner and, and with, unknowingly, right? right? They have this huge, huge mortgage. They got you know the kids. They got the job. They got the cars. They got the stuff. They got the boat. They got the on and on. And all of a sudden, they're like, "Oh crap, this isn't what I, I wanted." How do I how do I go back from all of this. And like you said, the biggest piece is oftentimes um, financial and financial stuff aside or or what you want to create with your life. I think another big piece that I have to remind myself of all the time is that 
saying yes to something is saying no to something else. And we all want to say yes to everything. We want to do it all, especially you and I as multi-potentialites, Chris. We want to do it all and we want to have all the time in the world. But ultimately, we have to we have to say no to some things. And uh, saying no to more things than I've said yes to in the past year and a half has been a, a big changer for me as well. Interesting. I understand you're doing a, an episode on your podcast soon uh, where you're going to actually talk about this. Uh, but you recently got off of Facebook and, and just for like a couple of weeks, you took a intentional time off. I'm curious, this is sort of about that, and but it's, it's a more directed question about the, so I, I, ha, I know several people that either have Facebook anxiety or, <laughs> which what I mean by Facebook anxiety is uh, they, they look at what other people are doing on Facebook and they have um, anxiety about it. They they have they're comparing, and they're saying, "Oh my gosh! Like look at the, look at how happy this person is, how successful this person is, how you know this person has this, this person has that, and I don't, and I don't, and I don't." And I know people that are like just throw their hands up, and they're like, "I just have to get off Facebook. I can't even deal with." being on Facebook because like everything I look at, like everybody's just so happy and they've got so much. So, but as a, so as like a public persona, if you will, like you, you and I, um, to some degree are public personas, right? Because we have podcasts and you know, I, I'm, I'm a doctor and, and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you're a doctor too, but I mean, I have a practice. So, um, yeah, yeah. So there's this idea that, and I think it's a real idea or, or, or I think it's true that people are attracted to success to some degree. They like, like if you, if you're looking for like, Oh, what, you know, how should I, I, I want to be better at this. Like you're not going to, you're not going to go, if you want to be a better triathlete, you're not going to go ask advice from, from a couch potato. If you want to be a good business person, you're not going to go find like some, uh, like a homeless person under a bridge and ask them like, how do I create a successful business? Like you're, you're a lot of times people that are trying to create are, and I mean, I'm talking about sort of like sort of material world stuff, like because there's also, you know, creating spiritually and stuff, too. But but in terms of like things that we can see and palpate and touch and feel uh, if we're trying to create things, we're looking for successful people to follow sort of. And so I think partly there's this there's this thing of like um, I I mean. I, Chris Frickman, am a, I'm a, I'm a real person. I, I have some successes and I have a lot of failures and I do some things really well and I, and I do some things really horribly and so on and so forth. And I mean, I, I definitely have a predilection to, if I'm going to post anything on Facebook, it's usually like a celebratory thing. It, it's not that I'm, I'm trying to mislead people. It's just like, yay, like this thing happened. Isn't that great? Yay. You know? And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts that that you want to share about being authentic uh, via social media or or any other way that's that's related to that. I have lots of thoughts. Um, <laughs> I think the one of the first pieces that I had to understand and and come to is that. Um, it's this idea of, of are we living by design or are we living by default? And if you look at the apps and the websites and the social media and stuff, those things are designed by default to notify you of things, to show you things, to to put stuff in front of you. And so, you know, one of the simple things that I did was I I, I took Facebook off my phone so I only can log on on my computer and I also uh, turned off all notifications on everything on my phone other than uh, my text messages. That's it. That's the only thing that dings, pings, beeps, does anything when I get one. And I think mine just vibrates, actually. Um, 
so that that's a piece of it is that so many of us are are myself included you know reaching for it it's what my friend anthony ongaro uh calls the twitch he's got a great website called breakthetwitch.com where he talks all about uh living intentionally in the the digital world and realizing that every time we get that that little notification that someone liked something or commented or shared or whatever. Uh, it, it's just like what sugar does. It's like what other drugs do. It, it releases dopamine. It makes us feel happy. It, it gives us validation. And so um, I think that's where some of the, it's easy to get uh, obsessed with it. It's easy to get addicted uh, to that validation, especially if, if we're not getting that somewhere else in life. Um, but going back to the, the idea of default, I got to the point where I unfriended like 500 people. I'm not even joking about that. Like I was just like, you know what? I, I do not want to see this stuff in my feed. Um, we didn't talk back in the day. I'm not sure how we became friends in the first place. Um, and I, I really, I mean, this, this may be one of those instances where I sound like a complete jerk, Chris, but, um, you know, I don't need to let that into my life. Like I'm giving them more control over my life than I'm taking of my own. And so, you know, for me, it's the the Facebook feed, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is, like you chose those people, you chose those pages to like, they are, there are options to block and mute and unfriend and unfollow and unlike. And I think that that is a, a huge first step of again, focusing on the essential and eliminating that, that it is not essential. And, uh, you know, some people may think that that's, that's kind of a, a jerk move or, or, or acting like a douche, but, um, that's, that's one of the pieces that I've, that I've done. Um, and then I've been able to give more time, uh, to those other people that, that are bringing more value to my life. And hopefully I'm bringing value to their life as well. Um, so I think that's a big piece of it. And just being, like we've talked about, just being super intentional. I found one of the reasons I did the social media sabbatical I got off for two weeks over the holidays is that I found uh, I was not being very present when I was with people. I was checking my phone. It was an easy out for me when I got uncomfortable or I got bored or I was like frustrated with someone uh, or I was didn't like the situation I was in. I would just escape into my phone. And I didn't like that. I was I was not being present with what was in front of me and I just didn't like how that made me feel. I didn't like how it made other people feel. Uh, I, I didn't, that, that's not life to me. And so uh, part of it is just understanding, not, not to say that you shouldn't use these tools, but they're exactly that. They're a tool uh, and you get to choose how you use that tool. So since I've been back on in the past uh, week or so, I've found that my Twitch is still there. I, I still reach for my phone way too often. Um, but I've kind of tried to set some parameters of you have this, I have this much time in the morning that I check it. And I have this much time in the evening that I check it. And other than that, um, I'm not on social media. Whereas before it was, I love that. I love those ideas. And I'm going to just try to redirect here because I am curious if you have any thoughts about being authentic. So like, just like, what about sharing stuff that's like, Hey, I'm living in my grandma's basement right now. Yay. Like, you know, like how do you be real on, on social media? I, I think it's, I think in some respects it's really hard because you don't want to be, there's a fine line between being real and just complaining and, mm. and, and being that person. And again, I feel like a jerk saying this, but we all know who it is on our feed that's always sick, always got something going on. There's always a drama, 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 right? There's a difference between that and being real. And so I think the, I think the, the question that I've heard many people uh, say when it comes to social media, especially from a, more of a, a business side or, or a professional side or a public side is, is this bringing value to anyone other than myself? Mm, okay, and that's a good benchmark. So I, th I think that's a piece, and I can't say that I've, I've hit that with every single post I've ever done uh, at all, um, but that's a question that I try to ask myself is that by me posting this and whoever is uh, on the feed, following it, et cetera, like could they potentially get something out of this? Um, 
and I think personally, it's 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 uh, a lot of it is how you approach it. I think authenticity comes from your approach uh, more than what is actually being said. If if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Kind of the intention behind it, and that can be definitely harder to read, um, you know, through a computer screen. Um, but I think that the more that people are putting their their true self out there, that 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 through line of kind of who they are as a person becomes um, more and more and more uh, obvious. And one of the things that like I love about just podcasting is that uh, voices. It's harder to lie through your voice. <laughs> it's way easier as to pick up. As opposed to text. As opposed to, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, I certainly aim to be very real on the podcast. It's a little bit more intimate to hear someone's voice for sure. Well, man, uh, we got to wrap her up. Any uh, closing thoughts? No, I think I think all my closing thoughts are somewhere in that uh, jumbled, intentionally <laughs> wandering mess, uh, somewhere in there. All right, that sounds good. So, all right, uh, Doctor Sandquist, thank you for being on the show. And um, where, if people want to check out your podcast or or anything else, where can they find you? Everything that uh, I got going on right now, as it relates to that, is over at uh, my website, intentionallywandering.com. It has all the old episodes, ways to subscribe, also ways to contact me via email, Twitter, Facebook, or uh, Instagram. Those are, speaking of social media, those are where I hang out. Okay. I love it, man. Uh, Thanks a lot for being on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Appreciate it. Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting-edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more.